Welcome to episode number 80 of Off the Shelf. I want to welcome you to the Off the Shelf podcast. This is part two of our interview with James Manuel of Cape Town, South Africa. James spent 40 years in the message before leaving in 2012. We're going to start where we left off last episode with a question for James. James, moving to a a slightly different subject, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, and says that if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, he said, you put up with it easily enough. And that was a criticism of the Corinthian church. Does the message preach another Jesus, or as Paul said, a different gospel? What does the Jesus outside the message look like to you compared to the Jesus of the message? What what has the transition been like for you, and what have you learned? Yeah, Rod, yeah, I have to be careful. In the message, there's a lot of indoctrination and brainwashing taking place. At first, when you are recruited into the message, it appears that the Jesus of the Bible um, is preached in message uh, churches. It does not take long to hear statements like, we're not talking about a historical Jesus. We are talking about a Jesus of Hebrews 13 verse 8. That's the Jesus that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then they would turn around and say, this Jesus is like one who lived in our generation. This is obviously not the Jesus of Calvary. It was not the Jesus of the Bible, but someone who took his place in our generation. Because of this, I have to say, the Jesus accepted and preached in message churches was not the one who died for our sin on the cross of Calvary. It was not the one who rose, rose from the grave on the third day and ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us. The Jesus in the message is one who is waiting for them beyond the curtain of time. They are resting on his words and believe that he will judge this generation. I reluctantly will have to say, William Branham preached another gospel. He made his followers understand and believe that his message was the ark. Believing every word he said was the evidence that they had the the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And believing his message was the token to be displayed to qualify them to be part of the bride of Christ and make it for the rapture. He taught that it was only the bride and that is people who believed his message that would make it for the for the rapture the gospel message is simple john 3 verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life when nicodemus approached jesus um, the response from jesus was verily verily i say unto you Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
This is an interesting point, James, and that is uh, which uh, in the debate, uh, the discussion I had with uh, Jesse Smith, he made a clear distinction that someone can be saved but not born again. And that is, honestly, I, I believe it is complete heresy. This is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible only talks about being born again in a couple of places. The rest of it, it's all about being saved. And so if you say, well, and, and, and they have to do this because to justify William Branham's teaching that you can be in the bride born again uh, and, or you can be saved, not in the bride, a Christian, not in the bride, a Christian That's right. in the multitude outside of the city, you can be a Christian and saved, but not born again, not part of the bride. That's right. Very, very similar to what Jehovah Witnesses believe. You know, um, the 144,000 would be those inside the city and everybody else would be visitors to the city. It, it's really interesting because actually the message teaches that there are, th there are three different kinds of Christians. Well, maybe, and, and four different kinds of people. Uh, there are right. unbelievers. You know, you know, they say they're unbelievers or make-believers and there's believers. William Branham taught that. But they actually yeah. then, they actually don't believe that because then they say there are, there are, you can be saved. And then there's another work of grace called being sanctified. So you can be saved and sanctified, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you've reached the third work of grace, which puts you into the bride. So there are actually three kinds of Christians, those who are saved, those who are saved and sanctified, those who are saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, and then there's another group, those who were friends to um to William yeah. Brennan. You know, yeah. people that 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 um good to the bride. Were, yeah, good to the bride. Um and, and those people don't even have to be saved. And you know, they, they, there's one good example. Um Rebecca um uh, Brother Branham's daughter. Rebecca in, Smith, in, yeah. Yeah, in one of her um those only believe magazines, she told the story of their neighbor who was never saved, nothing. And one day she, you know, and she wanted this lady to be saved so much. So she went to her dad and asked him, um, dad, what about, and I, I forget the lady's name, what about um, our neighbor? And then Brother Branham said, you don't have to worry. She'd be fine. She'll be over there because uh, she was good to, you, to, to God's prophet. Um, now, I don't, I don't know, you know, about that. That is really not part of the gospel. It's not part of the gospel at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know. So, so as far as the, the gospel goes, you know, um, I think Peter made it very clear when he said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And, you know, they, they asked, How, what must we do to be saved? And he, he gave a straight answer. And it definitely had nothing to do with, with what, what is taught in the message. So yeah. I have to say that the message preached another Jesus and a, a gospel not the same as Paul. And, you know, it is a very, very hard pill to swallow. But Paul also says in Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9, what happens to someone that preaches another gospel. Yeah, yeah, which is is very sad. But but you're right. According to the message, it's repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and believe in William Branham as your prophet, and then you shall receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they say it like that as well, Rod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> That's, you know, I just had one there today. It says, uh, I believe in God and William Branham is his prophet. I said, well, yeah. you, sound like a, you, know, you sound like a Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like on your journey, your past nine, ten years since you left the message, you know, going from someone who was escorting these message pastors around and really kind of involved in it, being a song leader, worship leader, and um, I guess song leader is the technical message term. But anyway, uh, and then you know, having a pastor say, oh, don't let him preach because he's questioning and, and just hearing, you know, you're mentioning, obviously, uh, this is what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. So you've really kind of studied a lot and done a lot. But what are what are some of the biggest changes, I guess, in your thinking since you left the message? Emily, um, for me, the changes in my thinking were manifold. When I was in the message, I was very staunch and I was very strict. I believed church was a, a, an orderly place. When you entered the sanctuary, you had to be quiet. When I um, visited a nearby church after I left the message, I was all dressed up in a full suit and tie. And like a Pharisee, I went to sit down opened my Bible and read some scriptures very quietly. And the first one that, that interrupted my quiet time of meditation was the pastor of that church. And, you know, he didn't do it decently. He knocked against my arm and, you know, he like grabbed me to get up. And he said, how are you, my brother? Welcome to our church. And to me, that was like, it was like blasphemy. It was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die here because, you know, I'm sinning in the sanctuary. I felt so uncomfortable. Um, he, he, he knew who I was through my daughters because they, they met them first. Um, but then he started a conversation with me, and it wasn't a soft conversation. How are you, brother? I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm Pastor Jeremy, and who are you? And I said, I'm, you know, like quietly. I'm James Manuel, um, and, you know, I live just around the corner. And he just, you know, at the top of his voice, and I was so uncomfortable because I was conditioned to be quiet in the sanctuary, but he kept on talking. And then after he left me, some more people came in and came there, and, and you know, they just chatted us up and, and greeted us. And, you know, I remember sitting there, Emily, in total disgust, I, I, I felt filthy. I didn't know what to do with myself. I eventually closed my Bible and I just sat there waiting for the next one to greet. And, you know, and every time my response was like, you know, I would greet, but it would be very quiet. God bless you and things like that. Um, but one thing I noticed was the freedom and love that everyone enjoyed, something that was never you know in the message it was everything was so orderly that there was no love you you're too scared to make a noise you're too scared to do anything and i i you know for, for that time i was very judgmental and i looked down on those people like a real pharisee 
And then a few weeks, weeks later, they invited me one Sunday afternoon to a praise and worship service. And again, you know, I went in my normal church gear and I got there and I saw all these people, you know, dressed informally. Um, some of some of the, the, the men had shorts on, you know, and I looked at this. Yeah, I thought, what have I got myself into now? Um, and then just before the music struck, right in front of me, um, a girl sat down. Now, I remembered this girl from, from, from the, our neighborhood. She was a drug addict here. And she was like, really, she was, she was a real bad character. And just a month prior to that, she got saved in this church. And, and yes, she was sitting right in front of me. And as the music struck Emily, this girl started dancing like, like you were in a disco, man. I mean, like real swinging her body and I'm sitting there, I think to myself, my God, where am I now? And I, and I couldn't help, I couldn't sing with or anything. I just looked at this girl judging her, you know, and eventually I couldn't keep it anymore. I got out of my seat. I left Crystal sitting there and I went to the toilet just to get, get a breather of fresh air. And while standing there and, you know, deciding now whether I should stay or whether I should just go home. You know, a still small voice kind of just nudged me. And, you know, suddenly I, I, I started asking myself, you know, that girl that you see there, a month ago you saw her, she was a drug addict. Today she is saved. A month ago she was dancing for the devil in discos. She was taking drugs and things. Today, she's in church, enjoying herself. Um, and then, you know, I sort of just looked at myself and, and then suddenly I, I started realizing that I myself have just come out of a whole lot of deception. I myself needed the grace of God. And, you know, so, you know, I, you know, you, I sort of just asked myself then, how is it possible that I can judge this girl and, and justify myself for sitting there and feeling better than her? And, you know, I really had to pep talk myself. And I, I did a quick silent prayer in the toilet. And then I went back to my seat. And then when I got there, I looked at this girl with completely different eyes. Um, and then I started enjoying the service. I, I could also then, you know, lift my feet and clap my hands and... And what I saw there was nothing. And you know what, Emily? That girl actually went from there. She grew in the Lord. And like six, seven months later, um, this girl uh, became the youth leader in that church. And even today, mm -hmm. she's such a great testimony here in our neighborhood and in the community. And everybody loves her. And yet, yeah, um, I judged her. And, you know, so, so with this, um, I learned to change my thinking and be more open-minded. I learned to look at people for who they are and not for what they wear. I learned from others. I, 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 I had to learn from others and not act as, as if I knew it all. Hmm. I learned to be willing to learn the meaning of Scripture from scratch. God was very gracious to me, Emily, and I'm eternally thankful for his grace and mercy.
Amen. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. I What I kind of picked up on and what stu- stood out to me, you said you went from staunch and strict, and then you mentioned freedom and love. And uh, I think that ties into a lot of times the scripture that we hear at weddings is 1 Corinthians 13. But I think it really speaks to the essence of, you know, what our salvation in, in Christ is. He you know, he loved us so much. He died for us. What does that love look like? And how are we to love others? What is the greatest commandment to love the Lord thy God and to love others as you know, and First uh, Corinthians says, if I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, And if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. I just think that really speaks into, that's what I picked up when you were talking. Like you saw, you saw that your neighbor through the eyes of love for the first time. And that just, it's, that's, that's, thank you for sharing. That was very profound. It's it's interesting, too, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, we hear uh, Paul tells us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then. Stand firm in our freedom, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And what happens is people have taken the message. William Branham has taken things from the old covenant and brought it into the new. You will find nothing in the New Testament relating to how you behave in a sanctuary. That is a a reference back to the temple. And so they're treating the New Testament church, which is actually church means called out ones, the ecclesia. They are the people who've been called out by Christ. It's people. It's not a place. Church is not a place. Uh, but but the German, when they train translated um, um, when Luther translated, he used the word Kirk, which stood for a place. And so the meaning changed in our minds and became, when we say church, we're thinking place. We're not thinking actually the biblical reference, which is the people. And so, you know, I mean, I know the, the, the whole issue of people, they're drinking coffee in the sanctuary. What a terrible, terrible thing. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Right. Yeah, and and Emily, as as you would um, you would know firsthand, um, our our setup at home, um, you know, I was very strict with these girls. I would I would you know when they grew up, 
I would um, first, before they go to church, I would stand there and look at them and check their dress, the length of their skirts, their hair, make sure that everything is in place. And, you know, if there's any moaning, I would say to them, well, either I embarrass you at home or I embarrass you at church. Um, so make your decision. But, you know, after I left, um, and I'm, I'm sure my girls told you, is that I've learned um, to love others just the way they are. And, you know, and, and that, is, that, is, that is probably one of the biggest things that I've had to learn, not to be legalistic, but to be realistic and to look at a situation from the other person's point of view. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that we don't understand about other people. But when you, when you look at that love, when you look at that commitment, when you look at their motive and objective, then it is much more than hair or dress or, or, or any of the countenance. It is much more than that because God deals with your heart. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, uh, James, and, and, and that's, you know, we, we gain liberty. Uh, when we go to Christ, as opposed to being caught in the bondage of the message, that's for sure. But and and that's something that we reflect from ourselves: the liberty that we have now in Christ once we leave the message. But my, my question really is: what surprised you most since you left the message? Something maybe you never expected, but maybe you came across it in other people, or maybe you came across it in in other churches or in other areas. Well, Tim, you know, initially when I left the message, um, like, like it happens to all of us, your friends turn their backs on you. Um, Crystal and I went to a memorial service of a message believer who was a close friend of ours. And immediately as we walked into this wall, that preacher changed his sermon and he started throwing us with rocks and to be quite honest it hurt it hurt a lot and at that time we were still very sensitive and vulnerable um and we left that evening not i, I remember sitting next to um uh, keith hearn the uh, manager of the voice of god recordings um uh yeah in cape town and he could see that I wasn't a happy chappy because just the day before that, the two of us had a, had a, had a conversation. Um, so, so we weren't feeling good at all. And then we, we, we experienced when we walk in a shopping mall and you see some message believers. It's almost like those people have been tuned to dodge you because, you know, they, they would literally move to the other side um, just to dodge you. We went to a function of a family member who was in a message. And you just feel that you're not welcome there. Everyone gave us a cold shoulder. At funerals, you know, when you get to a funeral, it's just high and by. Eventually, you get used to it as you realize you're no longer part of the club, if I can call it that. Sure, yeah. But this all changed when my brother-in-law died. That's about three years ago. Um, that message pastor, he, um, 
he was a, he's a good friend of ours. We, we, we grew up together in the message. And the family then asked me to pay tribute to Gregory, my brother-in-law. And all the people were standing down, you know, at the bottom because, you know, the message pulpits are guarded. Nobody comes there unless you belong to their church. And, and, and for the first time, this message pastor then actually invited me. He moved away from his pulpit and invited me to stand behind the pulpit, put my notes down and, and to speak. And then, you know, but you could see that everybody was on high alert. And I spoke, obviously, I didn't attack anybody because it was all about my brother-in-law, Greg. And then I, I made a few Christian comments and the, the, what, what surprised me most was when the service was over, everybody was gathering and he got a group of his men to sit around and they started asking me questions. And as we were talking, this pastor then suddenly said to me, I know there's things in the message that's not right, not right. And I know there's certain things that must be, but brother, please, won't you give the message another look? We, we wow. parted. We parted on friendly terms. And the very next day, Tim, this same pastor brought his brother who were visiting. Their, their mom was ill. So he brought his, his brother who was, was um, an, uh, an American citizen. He lives in New York. And the two of them came to my home. And we see, he got here about 9 o'clock in the morning. And we sat and chatted about events and happenings in the message from about nine o'clock in the morning till about 12 noon and they wouldn't leave. And eventually we had a nice time of prayer and we left happily. And that to me was probably one of the biggest um, surprises, you know, after I left the message. What surprised me then more, Tim, was about two years ago, um, I was invited to a group of message brothers, which included a few pastors. They invited me to a breakfast. And this happened just before lockdown 2020. Um, I had my defenses up. I didn't expect any love from them. But I was pleasantly surprised um, how they accepted me and even allowed me to state my stand. And many of them then agreed with me. Then at the end of that meeting, the, the, the brethren came to a resolution that they will only accept what is written in the Bible. And I'm talking about these guys were writing this up in the minute book. Only accept what is written in the Bible and reject anything William Branham or anyone else said that was not aligned with Scripture. You know, that this is, is something, James. Yeah, this is something that I never expected to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, that's huge. That, that's probably one of the big surpri biggest surprises. Maybe carrying on from that. Um, so this I would consider, I mean, from a, a North American standpoint, that's quite unusual because what we're finding over here is that most message ministers are on the attack. Someone said the other day, oh, this, this, this group of message ministers, they're worse than believe the sign. 
right? You, you, the, you know, the, it's in, their, in their view, the worst thing they could think of is somebody who's worse than, than, than me, right? So there's, there's a, a huge amount of defense of the message and the messenger without actually responding to any of our claims. So is, is, it, it sounds like that the, the attitude of message ministers, and I assume that's not all message ministers, but I assume, but, but it sounds like there is a, a, a willingness of some message ministers to basically engage in a dialogue with you and they're not treating you as an un, unbeliever the way people in North America message ministers. I mean, I, I've had, you know, w- one of my best friends said over the pulpit, I'm an unbeliever, right? Rod is an unbeliever. Yeah, I'd be interested. Is is that a valid statement that, that message ministers in South Africa as a group are different? Or is this just a, a small subsection of ministers? Um, it's that that one is very difficult to say. I I think it's um there's there's quite a few of them, but definitely not the bigger names, if you know what I mean. These guys, yeah. the, the, the the one guy that was present in this meeting that I'm talking about, he's actually one of the translators, and I'm not at liberty to mention his name now. No, no, no. But 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 he's one of the translators. He translates into Afrikaans. Um, at at Voice of God recordings, um, and he's he's a pastor. He's he's been a a pastor for for many many years, um, and he's certainly been in the message from the time that I when when I came into the message, he was already in the message. So it's not um, it's not a novice. Um, the other gentleman that was in in the same meeting, um, he called himself an apostle, and he he passed away recently. Of COVID, um, uh, you know, quite sadly. But um, what I've also um, experienced, Rob, uh, uh, Rod, is in May when I went on that trip. Um, when I got to Durban, I had a note on my on my phone, and there was also a person that calls himself an apostle that wanted to uh, chat with me urgently. I phoned him, couldn't get him, and then the person that gave me his number said, no, I must just continue, I must just continue. And eventually I got him. And basically what this man was saying is they tired of all the lies, they tired of all these discrepancies, and, and they want to talk. They want to, and, and this is now, this is in, in, in Durban. Um, and then there's another message pastor in Durban um, with the same thing. Um, they want to talk. So there's definitely a group here in South Africa that is um, kind of aligning themselves and they probably just waiting for the right time and they would move out. There's quite a few message ministers now that doesn't even mention the name William Branham over their pulpits anymore. They preach the gospel. Wow, that's very bold for message ministers. And wonderful to hear. It's great to hear, but they're likely to lose a church. That is probably, you know, and, and, and that, is, that is one of the things that, um, you know, that, that is the big stumbling block. These guys have, um, it's, it's like you've, you've, you've caged yourself in. You know what is true now, but there's a whole lot of money involved. There's a whole lot of prestige involved. And um, it's difficult 
to get off that high horse. That brings us to the end of part two of our interview with James Manuel. Please join us next month for the conclusion of our interview. If you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send us an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address or someone we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening. And remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.